Hey, this is Danielle Harris, and when I'm not combing the swamps for killers, I'm listening to Nightmare Junkhead Podcast. And remember, genius, 500 feet. in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that much like Ancient Mulder wants to believe. My name is Greg D. I'm Scully McGee. And on today's episode, we're doomsday prepping as we delve into the mouth of March Madness and travel back 20 years to talk the horror classics from our 2000 bracket. And you don't need to be subsisting on powdered milk to listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played. Hit subscribe. And when we drop our latest episode, we'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your Y2K hole. And if you are out wandering social media, you can follow us on Twitter. We're on. Uh, we're available at Nightmare Junk. And of course on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And it is on the Book of Face that you will find our little events tab. Shenanigans! Shenanigans abound! Always shenanigans abounding. And even though we are recording this episode way in advance... We don't know what those shenanigans are. We do know that this episode is going to release on Monday, March 16th, which I guarantee you the following day on the 17th, you're going to find me at the Alamo Draft House Terror Tuesday. But also, you can always find out wherever all the good genre events are going to happen on the events tab there. But more importantly, this time of the year... It is through all social media that you will find the bracket for Into the Mouth of March Madness. You're going to play along. And hopefully you are still playing along. Yeah. Make sure you're filling things out, sending it back to us, whether it is through Facebook or Twitter. And showing your work. Absolutely. That is kind of the backbone, Mm -hmm. the very essence of this tournament. And I can't believe at this point now that we are already two decades into the Mouth of March Madness. No. Time flies, uh-huh. madness abounds, and we are going from the year 1990 to the year 2000, to the year 2000, when we were promised flying cars. Right. We were promised- Stop this crazy thing. We were promised all sorts of gadgets and gizmos and personal jetpacks and- We were preparing for the worst in the year 2000. Yeah. And, and hope or hoping for the best. I still want my fucking flying car. I, I'm still awaiting for everything that did happen that didn't happen. But I can tell you this: in the year 2000, we got much in the world of horror. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There was a lot to be afraid of in the year 2000, and it definitely reflects in the films that we talked as an honorable mention. But more importantly, on the eight films that we are going to be discussing for mm-hmm. the year 2000, and you have to understand, we are probably cattle prodding ourselves for every time. We do the year 2000. We're not going to the Conan bit. I know. But if it drops, it drops. It'll happen organically, we swear. So break out your bracket here. We're going to go top to bottom. And our first bracket topic here, listen, we love it when people comment on horror tropes. Mm -hmm. We especially love it when they subvert those horror tropes. But if people are aware of those horror tropes in your movie... That means you're getting meta, and our first bracket topic is... Meta Masters. And we have two films from the year 2000 that definitely delved into the whole meta thing. Yeah, one winkier than the other. (laughs) Well, one is basically from a franchise of meta films. Right. And it's a film that ultimately, when you're three deeps into (laughs) a franchise that's all about commenting on tropes in the horror genre... Might as well go all the way. And we have here Wes Craven's Scream 3 going up against uh, a, a, a newcomer here, 
Cherry, Cherry Falls. Yes. Yeah. So which one shall we talk about first here, Genius? Let's do Scream 3. Listen. <laughs> I There's people right now ready to boo. boo. I like Scream 3. Like. And that's an important word. But I think the biggest thing I got from this rewatch was Scream 3. And this is why ultimately I like the whole Into the Mouth of March Madness. Is mm-hmm. I had a lot of preconceived. I, I had baggage. Going with Scream 3. I saw this one in the theater. Me too. I enjoyed it in the theater. Me too. But as time wore on, when I then went and watched it on VHS, when I went and back and rewatched it on DVD, of the three we had at the time, it's the one that I didn't... I was. I had basically the diminishing returns yeah. on part three. Oh, absolutely. For this one, this rewatch was not necessarily an eye-opener. I've always liked the Scream series. You know, I always have. And like... Part one is great. Part one is a it's, fucking classic. It's an all timer. Part two is part two is great too. Part two is one of those things like it's almost as good as the original. It is right fucking up there, right? But then part three, it's so meta. It's not only winking at the camera, it's laughing at the camera. The thing about the okay, I was really debating this because here's the thing, like you said, I really want to like Scream Three more than I don't. I mean more than yeah, it's more than I don't. Mm-hmm. I think the problem was this is a reverse Freddy, where in, as the franchise went on, Freddy became goofy. While everybody else around him was serious, Freddy was the, oh, welcome to prime time, bitch. Just craziness, right? Mm-hmm. Just madness. In this one, the killer is still scary, still hardcore, because some of the scares in that were quite well done, quite well done. Very scary, very tense moments. But the world around him is goofy. Mm-hmm. So it's a total switcheroo on the uh, ni- on the Nightmare franchise because you got Parker Posey being fucking Parker Posey as Courtney Cox as Parker Posey, right? And so it's like, it, it, it's got like random cameo, like deus ex machina Randy fan like service. You know what I'm saying? While it worked for me still, a lot of things about this just didn't. Now, if they would have took a lot of the goofiness, because you had Jay and Silent Bob. Jay and Silent Bob, I think that's what lost me. Because right when that happened, I was expecting more goofball shenanigans. Certainly. And the goofball shenanigans did come, but they weren't as funny as I remember. Because I don't know if the times, I don't know if, because they're like, everybody's like, oh, use your cell phone. Okay, brrr, pulling out big ass cell phones and shit. So it's like, I don't know, man. I don't know. It was almost too silly for me i think the issue and it's been pretty well um talked about the fact that it was a rushed production they were really piggybacking again off the success of scream 2 the fact that at this point it's making money let's capitalize on that to the point that they were rewriting the script on the same day so there was a lot of chaos going on with this production and it shows i think Mm -hmm. but like you said ultimately it kind of feels so strained from what the first two were going for right but it was upon this rewatch, though, and it's going to contrast. Well, it's actually will compare nicely to Cherry Falls, but it plays very much like a satire on the world of Hollywood, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Again, behind the scenes to the fact that you have Roger Corman showing up as one of the cameos as a production, but more importantly, Lance Henriksen right. playing just a sleaze ball producer. Yeah. Just the. You want to be a star, don't you? And what we know now with Harvey Firestein or the excuse, Weinstein, excuse me, Harvey Weinstein, <laughs> that's different. He never did anything wrong. Is, <laughs> I was going to cut that, but why no, doesn't that's anybody very, just love me? <laughs> but ultimately, though, that does shed light on that whole thing. And the fact that they start talking about what happened with Sid's mom when she went 
to try to become a star. Yeah. And she got caught up in that awful Hollywood party. Right. And you have them saying she 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 knew what she was signing up for. Mm-hmm. There was no absolutely no um uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? Accountability yeah. ultimately on that. They were able to coast by. And what you know now with him it definitely shades that movie a little bit different. Because even then, people were still saying, oh, they whatever, you know? And it was just like, come on, man. You know, I mean, it's hard to take away the times from the movie, but especially when there's such pressing things going on right now. Yeah. And just to like, just like, oh, shenanigans. It's just like, come on, man. You know, this one, like I said, but I got to give some of them scares. No, there's, there's there are some, some good there. If they would have said it was two different movies, it was goofy Hollywood Parker Posey dirty shit, and then it was like a good horror movie. Well, I even remember when I saw it in the theater. One of the things that I really enjoyed was the fact that they're they set up the the stage or the um the set for what is it Stab Three Stab Three. <laughs> And it technically, though, the cast and the way everything looks is from the first scream. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how that works. But I remember when Ghostface is chasing Sid through the set of Scream and my Scream 3, it just felt like that weird, again, winking so hard that the face is folding in yeah. on itself. But your third film in to a meta franchise, that's probably what's going to happen. The fact that they have to literally insert Randy in as a VHS tape memory. For the third film. Right. The whole, you know, if you're watching this, I'm already dead. Mm-hmm. And then setting up the rules for the trilogy. For the trilogy. And what the, what are the rules for the trilogy? There are no more rules. You and retcon everything ultimately. So it's like, okay, okay. And like, I think what worked best, and like, and, and that's the thing. It's Wes Craven again, mm-hmm. right? I think what worked best in the first two was it had that balance of scary and funny. And like, the scares are really good scares but i think it also most leaned in more on the horror yeah and this one it's leaning back on the horror like i said it's a reverse freddy and i, I wasn't ready for it you weren't ready for the not freddy i wasn't ready <laughs> oh, i can't yeah, even know how you to can't do even do that <laughs> no and also that goes the fact that uh, kevin williamson didn't retire return to write the script it was Ian kruger different kruger if you will yeah. that had his influence on there but like and also we'd be remiss if talking scream three we didn't talk Courtney and her bangs. Right. And they're ridiculous. They're wonderful. But this film is definitely a sign of the times. It's a film that very much feels like a throwback, but mm-hmm. it's trying to lean forward. And that's what you get a lot in this decade, in this bracket. I like Sydney's growth, though. Of course. Of course. But she's in it for like a quarter of the movie. That's the issue. That's the issue. It is so overstuffed with everything else. We- the fact that we talk more about Jane Silent Bob than Sydney right. in this film they, is an issue. She they could have went like I know it's could have you know, but like they had a good little story right there, kind of like the new Halloween, mm-hmm. where like she's trying to deal and overcome the horrible shit that just happened. So like meanwhile, here comes Ghostface and sins of her mom's past. You know, the red herrings weren't red enough. You know, sure. And so it was just and. I don't know. I wanted to like this movie. Again, it's that's it's okay. It's okay to like something. Yeah. It's I okay still to... liked it. I still liked it. But like if I had a choice, I'd see the first two. Absolutely. Well, like I said, the thing that I loved most is the fact that the Hollywood satire plays a little bit it stings a little bit more in today's environment. Yeah. So if that in itself would probably be a reason to go back and rewatch Scream Three, like I said, I'm a big fan of Scream Four. Haven't seen the TV series at this point. I saw the first couple of episodes. I, I, I didn't mind it. but I, I hear it's for a new generation. I liked Scream 5 with Emma Roberts. Well, going from something we enjoyed Scream 3 to technically, I realized at this point, to a film that's been an I've seen that, but going to Cherry Falls. Yeah. 
This one, okay, so I remember seeing it because I think I saw it in the theater at West Glen. Oh, okay. okay. That would make sense. That would make 2000. sense. But I remember being like, meh, you know, and like just and just never thinking about it again because I started when we were rewatching it, I was remembering, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, okay, yeah. This is All good. These this is coming back. Yeah, I now I know now I remember who's the killer. Da 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 da. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So no, I thoroughly enjoyed this one on a second rewatch. This one, like, I dismissed it in the, the original setting, but upon rewatching it, I was like, okay, this is great, you know? I liked this movie a lot. I'm not going to say, I fucking love this movie. This movie was the shit. It's a good movie. It's better than what I expected. I'm not going to love it. I definitely liked it. Well, I even remember hearing about this film because I had heard that it got cut quite a bit through the MPAA and the fact that it was had an interesting premise mm-hmm. that the killer was not targeting the sexually promiscuous, but ultimately the virgins yeah. in town. And that definitely subverts a lot that we go with the trope. But the biggest thing, my biggest takeaway from rewatching this, and I think we both even mentioned it while we we're because we were watching it, you know, we picked up the Blu-ray. Brittany fucking Murphy, man. How much we miss Brittany Murphy. She was so good. She, she was so good. First of all, one, I'm telling you, if she was still around, she'd be the absolute perfect Harley Quinn. Okay. Second of all, in this movie, she kicked some ass. It was great. You know, it was it was really she it made me miss her. Yeah, that was the biggest my biggest takeaway. She yeah. was great in genre films because she played the pathos really well. But you could also get when she had the you could see where she could be a problem solver, a yeah. survival girl, yeah. if you will. Because she's got that spark of madness in her. Well, the madness, I think, ultimately comes from the, the, ni- the not 2000 hair, but that 90s hair that she was rocking. In fact, this film felt painfully still in the 90s. That was one beef that I have with this movie. Like, <laughs> now back in 2000, I'll still to this day, I'll do like club music, right? But that wasn't the time or place for some of the boots and pants and boots and pants and boots and pants and boots and pants. It wasn't the it, it, it kind of it took away from some of the scares. There was a chase scene in there that was shot wonderfully. The compositions were great, but the music yeah. totally took me out of the scare. Yeah, to the point that I was I was noting and I was like, damn it, this sucks. Like this, is, and I don't know if it is going to make it set that much in a, in the year two thousand. In the year two thousand. Or if that's to its, there are some people that probably enjoy that more potentially, but it did take me out of that. Um, Jay Moore showing up this. Right. Michael Killing B- it. Michael, Michael Bean. Bean. Welcome, welcome return. But this is another problematic movie, okay? Kind of like Scream 3, because there was some ill reprehensible shit that happened on. And it was just kind of like, hmm, okay, you know? It came back to bite him in the ass, and Brittany Murphy was calling it the whole time. Like, that's some bullshit. That is some horse shit. And so, like, no, this one was good. Not as scary as I would like it to have been. I'm And I'm good with that, because if we're looking at your post-scream slashers, they some in their best forms, they are scary. But in the forms where they work... They're entertaining. Yeah. And this one was wildly entertaining. Holy shit. Okay. Two scenes that really stood out to me. One, um, when Brittany Murphy is kicking the shit out of the killer. I'm not giving away because if you haven't seen it, definitely check this one out. Oh, yeah. But like, it's an interesting take on the killer motif and mm-hmm. why he's doing it. But like, she kicks the shit out of him. She fucking hits him with a goddamn shark. There is a 
there's I'm not going to say it's Chekhov's shark, but it ultimately I, I saw the shark show up in the shot. I'm like, okay, if we don't see something with the shark, right? It's totally wasted. Exactly. Why would you have a big ass fucking shark there if you're not going to use it? You know, everything in Pee Wee's Playhouse was used. It's, yeah. You know, so everything is in play, right? So yeah, I I thoroughly like that one. And then the second scene I like is the teenage orgy. Now I know that sounds bad. Well, yeah, we yeah. put a little context. Let on me that put genius. in the context in that it's hilarious. First of all, the the the, the script is funny. There's some one line in there holy hymen batman holy hymen batman was another one and the hymen holocaust was another one and i was like that's funny but it's a natural reaction i mean it it sounds goofy on paper teenage orgy but if you think about it the killer's targeting virgins mm-hmm. if i'm in high school what's the first thing i'm gonna do oh fuck yeah i'm safe you know so like but it was great to see how like the girls were like okay we we got this if, if they want anything, you say, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. Their sex talk cracked me yeah, up. Yeah, it was hilarious. And then the guy's like, <laughs> it was just total night and day. It's so funny. Um, but then in the teenage orgy, when the killer shows up, he just goes to town. Goes to town on this teenage orgy. And it's like, holy shit. I'm there laughing. I'm like, ah. And it's like, ah. I'm not going to say it's lying because that's giving it away. But it's great. It's It was a funny scene. Because they're like, holy shit. <laughs> well, you have to you have to have that escalating, everything escalating. And that's it does escalate to that, that scene. But the thing about it is for being a set in a teenage orgy, it was very chaste. This is yeah. for being like, I'm not saying it was 100% chaste, but there's no real nudity, right? There's a lot of like awkward scenes and stuff involving like, supposedly teens. Right. But it's a very like clean movie for being about a teenage orgy given one of the tropes and staples of a slasher is usually the gratuitous nudity yeah and again that's what a lot of these films are subverting either the tropes well that is one of the tropes so that makes sense that they mm-hmm. would do that um now that being said we're given a lot of likes to both of these films but yeah. unfortunately only one can make it into the round of the scream 16 and here in the first round we do have two bits of criteria that we look at and debate showing our work yep we do go from the heart and from the head. So we ask the question, which of these two are closer to the heart? Closer to the heart! Not too bad. Not too bad. Getting yeah, it's, it's It's working on it. Getting so which one pulls on the nostalgia strings for you? So genius between Scream 3 and Cherry Falls, closer to the heart. You know, I'm going to say I saw both these in the theater. I remember liking Scream 3 and dismissing Cherry Falls. But upon this rewatch, I think I made the bad call back then. So for Closer to the Heart, this was a much better rewatch than Scream 3. So Cherry Falls is going for me on my, that one. That is fair. I Because I saw this one in the theater, and I think I've mentioned it multiple times, my original viewing of Scream is that dragon I'm chasing yeah. for the, the fear. And I've always taken that with every Scream that I've seen, seen in the theater since then. And I remember that sense of anticipation. And like I said, I enjoyed it. It didn't really discolor my viewing. I still enjoyed them both, but because I did see it in the theater, the pangs of nostalgia, that one hits me closer. So for me, I got to go Scream 3. Now, that being said, the bracket topic in this case, from the heart to the head, which of the two is more of a meta master? And this one, you definitely are going to have to show your work because ultimately what's meta for you may not be meta for me. Mm -hmm. So Genius McGee, better meta master. This one's hard. This is? Because... I, I'm gonna, this one's going to have to be a quantity over quality. So I'm going Scream 3 because while the, the Cherry Falls did like wink at the camera, 
meta. This was almost too much meta. So for bracket alone, that was too much meta for me. For so I have to vote for Scream Three. That's fair. That's fair. I and I'm gonna go the opposite. Actually, for me, it's commenting on itself at this point. And when you start doing that, I think you do lose some of the steam and the original intent of Scream. I don't know if Scream was originally meant to be a trilogy. Right. No, you could just have the original and it's still a masterpiece. With Cherry Falls, it's taking a look at some of those well-worn tropes that we talked about in the original Scream. But it definitely puts a fresh twist on it. It's not too often where, again, the virgins are the ones that ultimately are getting got yeah i yeah. mean that is something to, to be strived strive, stri- striven stroven stri- strived strived for yeah we we don't do grammar well here on the we show do, we don't speak english good no we do not so my vote is uh cherry falls on that which means we have our first tie here of the first round of into the mouth of march madness oh which means we've got to go to on the cover of the old fango so when we go to the cover of Fangoria, interestingly enough, both of these films have representation, have both been on the cover, but only one was the main cover, the main story. Ah. And for that, and that reason alone, and because we do love Fangoria, Scream 3 has slashed its way into the round of the Scream 16. Uh, yeah, yep. I, that's a good fight. A good fight. We showed our work. Absolutely. We showed our work. If you, if you don't like this one, blame Fangoria. <laughs> Subscribe to them as while you're at it and uh, mm-hmm. tell them Nightmare Junkhead sent you. So going from Meta Masters, our next bracket topic and our next pairing here in the year... In the year 2000. <laughs> in the year 2000. We're going outside of the U.S. and we're getting a little international flavor. Ooh, je l'ai bon. We're... We, Again, we've probably alienated any and all <laughs> French viewers thanks to Genius's uh, cultural sensitivity. <laughs> but in this case, we actually have representations from the north and to the east. Uh, we have from Canada, we've got a little werewolf action and ginger snaps. Mm-hmm. And from Japan, we've got some of the ghostly kids, cats, and haunted houses with Juan. The curse. The curse. So which of the two do we dig into, dig our teeth into first there, genius? Ginger, ginger snaps. snaps. Let's do ginger snaps. Because if you're digging your teeth, you go on a cookie. <laughs> That's quite good. Uh, ginger Snaps is a movie that I've seen multiple times. I didn't see it during its original Me release. Me this is one I caught up to later, and it was definitely through word of mouth. I have heard of this little Canadian werewolf film that hit all the bases you want on a werewolf. And go back to our werewolf episode where we talked about you know, how a good werewolf film will ultimately come to represent something else. Mm-hmm. And in this case with Ginger Snaps, it's becoming a woman. Yep. It's menstruation. Menstruation is the triggering thing from, from, from girl to woman, literally. Yeah, and from girl to wolf. It plays wonderfully because if you just want a good gnarly werewolf film, you, you got get, it. Wonderful. You got it. If you want a film that depicts the, the, the bonds of sisterhood and the, the perils of like growing up, you can't you got it. get any better with this. It's like, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, meets Silver Bullet. <laughs> Ooh. Hey! <laughs> if are, we, you, are you there? It's me, Gary Busey. <laughs> we could have had Bernie Wrightson illustrate something by Judy Bloom. Oh, that would have been glorious. Oh, glorious. <laughs> Ultimately, no. This is one that 
uh, kind of like with Alien and Black Christmas, the more I watch it, the more I grow to appreciate it, mm-hmm. where it becomes one of my favorite werewolf films. And it's extra Canadian because they're playing lacrosse. <laughs> lacrosse. They've got the neighbor that's dressed up in the hockey gear. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing, ultimately, as a dog lover, I always forget about the trauma involved because... That's hardcore, man. There's a lot of... There's a lot of dog death, man, and I'm not cool with that. I always have an issue with that, but you know what? That's... The perils of growing older, mm-hmm. the inevitable separation of death involved in everything. But for me, it's the women that make this film. Yeah. With Catherine Isabel, Emily Perkins, and Mimi Rogers. That parental, that little family unit they have is wonderful. Such a good cast. I mean, like, the acting in this. Catherine Isabel sells it. And Emily Perkins her body language throughout yeah as the lesser known sister the one that's more of an introvert that's one more of again imagine me you know being attracted that but it just spoke volumes to me it was just so sad and then when she finally makes the connection with a guy and it's ultimately because of her care for her sister you know everything the narrative is driven of her care of her sister yeah Fitzgerald's sisters everything they go through um the fact that she you know um ginger goes from one day of being you know, this the best sister, let's take the death pictures. To like, leave me the fuck alone, I'm going to do what I want. Yes. Yeah. And I, I'm an only child, so I don't know the perils of having the older brother, older sister, or the younger brother, younger sister. I was always the older brother, because well, that's how it goes. Right. And like, I remember like, oh, leave me alone, you know, like, come on, let's just, do- no, ugh, I want my space, you know. So like, again, teenagers, you know, what can you do? But yeah, no, I was like, yeah. I remember like, ah, just stop copying me. <laughs> well, also the fact that it's technically a Halloween film. Mm-hmm. And one thing I completely forgot about, and it was, I don't know what it was on this viewing, but when she goes to the Halloween party and she starts making out with a guy, the breast shot and the reveal that you get is probably not the one you're wanting. No. But if you think about technically a werewolf. It makes sense. You get a little, some teat action. Yeah, it makes sense. And it was that was a cool mid transformation. I mean, even the whole thing, like, and it's subtle. Like as it goes along, like her teeth start getting a little mm-hmm. gnarlier. She starts sprouting a little the tail, tail, the tail, which is so creepy. It was so creepy because I was like, well, it looked real. Well, even the scenes when she's, she's tra- trying to cut it off. Oh, that's hardcore. Yeah, there's some. The pathos hits hard in this film, and that's why I think it works on multiple ways. This is a, a, a movie that I think if you were watching this as a teenage girl, as someone that's growing up, it would probably you know, be one that's close to your heart, yeah. potentially. And if you're on the show, then we know what your vote would be on that. <laughs> but like I said, ultimately, this is a film that I really like so much more and more when I watch it. I found that with a lot of werewolf films here lately. Yeah. Like Late Phases is another one that I just I've grown to adore more. Dog Soldiers, I know, is going to be another one that just yeah. grows on me, ultimately. And Ginger Snaps, you definitely want to seek that out. Because it's always good when you can put the monster into what that means to you, you know? And, like, although we don't know what it's like to be a teenage girl going through menstruation, we do understand what going changes through our body go to. My you friend, know? if I pull down my shirt, it looks like I'm becoming a werewolf. And I got some teats already, so, like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, if we need to make, you know, the, my teeth are all gnarly, and like, <laughs> oh no, I got a tail, you know. <laughs> so we're gonna have to put you through a couple of tests here, genius. Hey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it made me drink a Coors. <laughs> but no, I definitely say seek out Ginger Snaps. Now, a film that I was very familiar with, with Ginger Snaps, 
going all the way across the world with Juon, yeah. this is a film that I can definitely wasn't, I've seen that. Me too. Now, I thought I saw it. Turns out I was watching Junon The Grudge. I wasn't watching Junon The Curse. There are so many multiple variations. Yeah, because of- it, it goes like Junon The Curse, Junon The Curse 2, Junon The Grudge, Junon The Grudge 2, Junon The Grudge 3, and then it Sadako its versus Kayato, or the all... And you're just like, what the fuck? So like, well, you know what? That's appropriate because there were a few moments in the film where what the fuck? Yes. <laughs> so I knew this film by reputation, mm-hmm. the whole J horror phenomenon, which is I, I've always appreciated the J horror films for the most part, because one of the things I love with international horror is getting horror through a different filter, through a different culture, because for me, ultimately, Scary is scary. Right. Regardless of where it's from. But some things get lost in translation. Potentially. Sometimes it can be even enhanced through the lack of translation. But also, I want to get a little bit of that culture that ultimately, hopefully, will stick out to me because it is something that is foreign, something that is other that I can learn from, ideally. And it strikes on, even though it's foreign, it strikes on something that hits close to home, like a scary haunted house. You know, it's still a ghost story. Whether you're in Japan or here in a basement, right? A ghost, a, a, a house by itself can still be very scary. Now, here's the thing that got me: the fact that it was shot on video. It's it, it's technically JV horror, which I did not know about. Is I, I'm I shouldn't be shocked that there's a subsection of of a sub you know genre. Yeah. Ultimately, but I didn't realize that. It, yeah, it started as a direct video ultimately yeah and it's shot like almost like it's a camera like 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 you're like a like a camcorder camera you're not watching like, someone's lost like home, home video, video yep. but like with great production value and scares and special effects but it was it enhanced the experience for me on this one because i was like oh shit this feels like i'm watching somebody's real life and some ghost so yeah well the sound design sold it for me that I can't even do it. I can't do it. I'll I'll throw my my throat out. That the the cats. Now, okay, I got an issue Can with the cats. What? Now, once again, maybe I lost something in cultural understanding, or maybe I ha- haven't. Have you watched this film four years ago without Owen? You'd have a totally different thing potentially. Maybe, but, but I now, love me, I love me some kitties. So, like, first of all, it's got that Asian kid in it, right? And if there's anything cuter than a kid, it's an Asian kid because they're adorable, right? Um. But I love cats. And so when you have like a super cute kid, even though he's all like white and pasty, just going, Wah! right? It didn't scare me. I was like, that's kind of cute. You know, like I kind of want one, you know, just to like, <laughs> hey, do it. Wah! Like, oh, good, good, good. You know, just like, because <laughs> it didn't scare me. Now, the mom did. Anything that crab walks, fuck oh, yeah. all that noise. Fuck Definitely. all that noise. But like, no. I, di- I wasn't scared. Also, in this one, I don't know. It's because we recently rewatched it or talked about it. But I just found myself in Richard Jenkins mode from Cabin in the Woods. Because there was something that was like, fuck you. Fuck you. Like right in the middle of it. I couldn't <laughs> help myself. That was one of those. Like I was just like, ah. So while I, there was some parts, that, there was some genuine scares. There was something like, that's not scary. And there was something I was like, well, you know. This something is lost on me, you know, because it was it was definitely because it's vignettes. It's it's yeah. it's an anthology. 
but it's uh, way out of chronological order. And so, like, and some of the the, the words are not quite right, and you're mm-hmm. and it doesn't explain anything. And so, like, it doesn't hold your hand. I can appreciate the fact that yeah. it doesn't hold your hand. No, it's gonna let you go through the film. I even wrote anthology question mark yeah. because it, it isn't technically, but what it is, you could potentially Pulp make the argument. Yes. Non-linear. Definitely. Right. And I think ultimately because it was from a different country, we were, there's always that initial, there's even that fear of just having that, you know, being lost in translation. Yeah. So that already adds to the dread. I think now there were some really good gags in here. The Day of the Dead, Dr. Tongue, Missing Jaw Gag. That was a good one. That made me go... And I'm telling you, the the crab walk got me. The When she was ultimately reaching for her phone, and her you just her hand goes up, and she immediately... I think Tarantino was on there shooting Second ID that, that day, but she grabs like the ankle and the foot. Mm-hmm. Oh, that one genuinely creeped me out. No, there were moments in there that I was, I was uh, unsettled. And as a first time, what now? Ultimately, very brief. You want to talk about something just in terms of like brevity? It ran, I think, seventy minutes. It was a quick movie, which it, it didn't overstay its welcome no. by any means. And I think as it progressed, everyone went started getting more and more closer to feature length film. But I'm gonna tell you this: there was a scene in there that fucked me up. It was which one? Was was it the, the guy the, with the bag? Okay, in the phone booth. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that was fucked. That was that I, was I was fucked. not prepared for that. I was not prepared for that either. We again, this will give you an idea of when we're, you know, talking to when we're recording here. We have seen a lot of baby violence in films here yeah. within the last like four weeks. I don't know if that's good for karma. I don't know, but uh, it's a little rough. Oh so that that this one's <laughs> trigger warning. Yeah, truly on that I one. was I was not ready for that. But he got his come up it's so Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, yeah, I, I'm glad I saw this now. Ultimately, it does make a little bit more sense. It's because I, God, I, I've seen that. I've seen. I think I've seen most of the Juan stuff. So I need to go out I've, and see. I, I've seen that. You've seen it, or you have? No, I've I've seen that. Uh, I've seen the original one. Like not not well. Now I've seen the curse. Right. right. But I've seen Juno and the Grudge and Juno and the Grudge. Two. I haven't seen anything else after that. And I saw the American remake and the American remake two. The fact that this is the one that spawned it all should speak volumes. Right? Right. Well, as much as we enjoyed both of these films, only one can advance into the next round of the Scream 16. So Genius McGee, of the two, Ginger Snaps and Juon, which is closer to your heart? Ginger Snaps. Ginger Snaps. Ginger Snaps. Now, this is my first time watching it. Really dug it, but I couldn't get 100% into it because of the kitty cat and all that stuff. But I remember watching um, Ginger Snaps and we're like, this movie is great. You know, like, this is funny. You know, there's some hard, there's some good gore, lots yeah. of good gore and good creature effects. And it's a good story. Yeah. Catherine Isabel knocked it out of the park. Knocked it out of the park. And so, yeah, for Close to the Heart, I got to go Ginger Snaps. Totally works. For me, I I heard of both of these films before I saw them. Um, obviously, it took me a lot longer to get to Juon than it did to Ginger Snaps, so I won't hold that against it. But ultimately, for me, Ginger Snaps is going to a well-worn genre for me, where you know, werewolf films. Versus with Juon, I enjoy the haunted house, the, the curse elements of that. But, you know, I, I, maybe it's the fur... But there's just something warm about a werewolf film, and this one especially, given yeah. the Canadian feel, the, the the nostalgia feel for me does go to Ginger Snaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, that being said, 
of the two films, Genius, which gives you better international flavor? Junon. Because while Ginger Snaps is clearly Canadian, like the water, mm. it's not. <laughs> you could set it in Minnesota. You could set it in New Mexico. You mm-hmm. could set it anywhere, and you'll still have, I mean, relative to North America, and you're going to still have the same basic plot. Mm-mm. Not with Junon. There's too much, like, lore. There's too much mystique that, like, I don't even know about that speaks volumes. Like, so for international flavor, I got to go Junon with that one. And I'm going to agree with you, and my main defense of that is, like you said, you didn't get really anything clearly Canadian in Ginger Snaps beyond the kid out there in his hockey gear, Mm -hmm. the fact that they're playing lacrosse in Juon. The fact that they even talk about the the fact that she's getting the call from the number that's just fours. I did a little research. Turns out fours death. Exactly. And, and, and that was nothing I would have known. So the sake and the spirits connection. Exactly. If they I, dr- don't don't tell the house that they can't drink it. There was so much. So like that is strictly J horror. Very much so. And that to me is true flavor. That's I'm learning something as well as being scared. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. And I don't know if there's something in the sake or the water, but this is the now. We have another tie yeah. with this, so we've got to go back to the cover of... Oh, cover of the old Fango. Let's go back to the cover of Fangoria. And as it turns out, both of these films have been on the cover, but neither Ginger Snaps or Juan were the main. They were in the film side on the left-hand side of the cover of the old Fango. Uh-huh. So both of them have representation. And I should say this, both of their sequels, because both of these films did launch franchises, Yeah. ultimately, Ginger Snaps and Juwan, and both of those have featured films not on the main cover, but on the film side. So we have a really weird, interesting tie. Right. Now, we mentioned then, Beyond a Fango, we just did this off, off mic here, but let's ask, did you say it was The Lasting Legacy? The Lasting Legacy. And this is even tougher, because... Which one, and again, both of these original films, Juan and Ginger Snaps, has a better lasting legacy. So I'm going to throw it out to you, Genius. What does your vote go to on that? <sighs> uh, I, want, I want, here's the thing, I want Ginger Snaps to go on, but for lasting legacy, I got to go Juan because without this, while yes, it did have franchises because we're three deep with Ginger Snaps, plus Catherine Isabel has gone on to be a genre favorite. But we wouldn't have Junon, Junon the Curse, Junon the Grudge, the American remake, the another the one that just came out. You know, so for for like at least twenty years, people have been listening to. So. I got to go with Junon for L- Lasting Legacy. Listen, I enjoyed Ginger Snaps more, but for a legacy where you have two remakes at this point, right? that's a legacy. Yeah, exactly. And because of that, Juon lives on into the round of the Scream 16. So do you hear that, listeners? We are not biased at all. We both want Ginger Snaps to go on, but we, because of what's on paper, showing the work. we're showing the work. We have to go with Junon. So not saying that... Junon ain't great. It deserve we, we showed film. the work. But if you ask me today, which one would I want to see? I'm gonna go Ginger Snaps. Well, regardless, then what's gonna take us to our next pairing of films and our next bracket topic. And this one ultimately, what I love here in the next, especially 
gonna not gonna do it but in the year 2000 and the year 2010 we see a lot of new up-and-coming filmmakers yeah and filmmakers that at this point within the horror world are pretty common knowledge people that you know names that you can throw out like an adam wingard yeah. normies aren't gonna know that name but genre folks is like, absolutely yeah sign me up <laughs> so our next pair of films here are celebrating two films that are pretty much were good starting points for a couple of genre filmmakers and our bracket topic is seeds of Evil. Just say it one more time. I got the got the gave it the, the back of the neck there. Seeds of evil. Woo, that's quite good. <laughs> Seeds that will that will grow anywhere. But ultimately, these two films, first timers for the most part, in one way or the other, for two filmmakers, we have James Wan and Final Destination going up against Mike Mendez. and the Convent. Mm-hmm. Which of the two shall we start first? There, genius. Let's go. Final Destination. Saw it in the theater. Me too. Was a revelation. Yeah. In the theater. I was not, I don't know what I was expecting, but was not what I was expecting. Right. Subverted my expectations, was inventive, had great kills, had a moment where the audience absolutely lost their minds, the bus kill. People laughed in my theater. They're like, <laughs> a reaction, a I true reaction. <laughs> I still did. That this rewatch, I still cracked up. Well, and it's funny. I'm a monster. When I rewatched it again, I know it's coming. And I st- I'm like waiting for it, waiting for it. And I'm by myself. And I'm looking around at no one. Just going, hey, you all. Is Check no one out. in here Check ready for out. this? <laughs> Embarrassing to admit, but it's <laughs> such <laughs> an iconic set piece. Uh, truly, truly. Fun. But also just the fact that the film is based on the, the the concept that you can't escape death. No, you can't cheat it. It's gonna get what it gets. And here's the thing: like you said, you didn't know what to expect. I didn't either because it just said it just said Antony Todd and in the commercials. He was like, "Death is coming," right? And so I thought, you know, maybe it's gonna be very Candyman esque. Sure. But the fact that like, no, death oh, is gonna get you no matter what you fucking do, and the kills are inventive. The gore was crazy good. Um, people who are afraid of planes do not watch this movie if you're afraid of flying. Let me ask you this, genius. Oh, I love to fly. Okay. I love to fly. That's fair because lakes? Fuck no. Greats? No, hell no. no that, that's a, where the chuds get you. That is fair. I always just, But planes, though. I'm cool with planes. Will you sit on a window seat? Oh, yeah. I like to look down. Really? Are yeah. you, what about a window seat on I'll the wing? I'll jump out of a plane. On the wing. Oh, on the wing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, no, because... You're see the little exactly, gremlin. Exactly, because I'm looking for him. Like, whenever I go to the plane, I'm like, oh, I'm at the window, right? So I, like, look for him. I'm, like, waiting for him. And they were like, ah, and the lightning hitting and stuff. Where is your logic, man? To me, if I was taking, like, an SAT or an ACT question and it was, you know, as a lake is to... Uh, or no, as a great as two chuds for genius, a plane. I would totally fail that because no, I I love I love planes. In that's fact, crazy. In fact, if any out there has any of that like jumping off plane stuff, I want to do it. That's a bucket list thing. Like because here's the thing. Here's my thing with planes. Here's why I'm not afraid of planes. If I'm gonna go on a plane, I'm gonna go. You know, I mean, like uh, I'm done. Right? Chuds, they'll chew me up. I'll be alive. Choke on it. Lakes, things swim up your pee hole. That's a no good thing. Right? No. Right, getting chewed and devoured, that's, getting chewed and devoured—that's tore up, right? I don't, I don't like that. But if fair. I jump out of the plane and the chute doesn't open, cool, cause like game over. That's fair. 
That's fair. Quick. I, I, I'm learning something new about you. This is good. But, because the Final Destination 2, I hate driving behind those fucking trucks log with trucks. the log trucks. Fuck all that noise. Dude, Final Destination, Final Destination is a phobia starter because, like, I don't drive behind that. Now, I used to super love roller, roller coasters, coasters, but now I'm like, oh, well, let me think about this. I'll still go on it, but I'm in the back of my mind, the thing's going to fucking jump, right? Um, NASCAR, NASCAR events, events, I don't go in the first place, but I definitely don't want to go now. <laughs> and those people are like, well, but don't you want to see the crashes? Yeah, but I don't want to be in the crashes. <laughs> so, like, uh, those drawbridges, I never fucking trusted those, like, drawbridges things. Fuck them. Yeah, so, ever no. since Maximum Overdrive. Thanks, Final Destination. It, it it gets you. It, it gets you. It yeah. gets you one way or the other. I had forgotten how mean some of the kills were initially. Mean, especially the first one where it is meant to invoke a suicide, and just the sound design, the just the way everything works. Mm-hmm. A mean movie, a fun movie. Uh, Sawa is family in this one. Yep. Obviously, uh, this is a movie that is it's fun. It launched a franchise. I thoroughly enjoyed my revisit with Final Destination. Mm-hmm. It was I, I knew it was coming and it didn't matter, you know, <laughs> and that's the beauty of it. Now, pair that with a film that I couldn't even say I've seen that. I've never even heard of this movie. Mike Mendez's The Convent. Mm-hmm. This is one that I knew nothing of. And nope. now I do not mean to say that because listen, we love Mike Mendez here on the show. Big ass spider. Oh, I love Mike Mendez. Uh, don't kill it. No, dude, Mike Mendez is great. I mean, because everything he does is going to be funny and it's going to be gory. So when I heard Mike Mendez, do it. He's one of us. Yeah. He's totally one of us. And when we went and sought this out, you saw it first. Uh huh. And what was, I mean, it wasn't even a review, but you were like, it's Mike Mendez and Night of the Demons. And I was like, ooh, okay. Yeah. I hope I get this invitation then. Dude, it is 100% Mike Mendez's Night of the Demons. You take Night of the Demons, you add Adrian Barbeau versus your you killer know, nuns. So basically, take Angela, <laughs> take Angela and Linnea without the makeup, yep. without the lipstick, put them in nun outfits and a whole bunch of fuckery, and have Adrian Barbeau come and like fucking blast him with a shotgun. It's grand. This is a fun movie. This is a blast. This is this, a, is, this is a party movie. Yes. This is a movie you throw in the background. People are like, what the fuck is this? You know, because it opens up with a oh. nun massacre with like mass going on. Well, like with any good film, you get a little bit more context with what happens at the beginning. And it's not as, you know, cut and dry as it seems. Nope. There's never really a nun massacre without, you know, a story behind it. Exactly. Uh, don't make a habit of it, if you will. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, you say the rosary for that joke. Uh, yeah, the penance is. Now, hold out your hand. <laughs> I think ultimately one of the things that makes it feel closer in the year 2000 ultimately is some of the editing. I did have some issues with that with some of the hyper editing and then all the, the, the jingling and jangling uh-huh. that they're doing. Felt a little 2000 to me. Doesn't necessarily take away from it no, because I had a blast, and it does feel like an 80s throwback. It totally feels like an 80s throwback, which makes sense given that it is kind of aping Night of the Demons. And again, that's okay because I think a lot of those filmmakers that grew up with those movies, uh huh, they they want to make at least one or two of those in their resume. Yeah, when we say this is Mike Mendez's Night of the Demons, we that's say that awesome. lovingly. Yes, you know, we say that with all, all the love in the world. Kevin Tenney would appreciate that. Yeah, but as much as we enjoyed both of these, only one can move forward into the round of the Scream 16. Now we need to mention mention uh, the seeds of evil and everything. James Wan wrote and directed Final Destination, and he's well known for. You want to play a game? The, well, also, no, no, different actually, different James Wan. 
multiple James Wan. This is actually a writer for the X Files. Ooh, yes, the ah, ah, I know. Which made because originally I was like, oh, the seeds of evil. That's going to be yeah, a little bit of a. Yeah. This is going to make it more challenging. But ultimately, Genius McGee, which one, Final Destination or the Convent, is closer to your heart? Final Destination, man. Final Destination. Telling you this movie. It's- it still holds up to this day. It's yeah. so scary. I mean, like, it's fun scary. I mean, because it puts that thought, like, you can't escape death no matter how much you want to try. It's going to come and get you. And that thought alone, like, even after the movie, I'm like, okay, all the doors are locked. Never, no, There's no running water. It's, you know, everything's cool. So, like, no, it's effective. Super I, effective. I can only imagine someone with OCD, this movie would probably drive them insane. Right. Now, and again, I have to judge when it comes to be something being close to my heart and the nostalgic streams. Yes, I did see Final Destination in the theater. Yes, I just watched The Convent. Yes, I loved both of them. But if I'm being honest in terms of what is closer to my heart, you know, my first time screening of Final Destination was wonderful. Because like I said, I didn't know what to expect. I was shocked. I laughed. I was scared. I had a great time in the theater and I had a, like you said, I had a great time revisiting it, had a great time experiencing the convent for the first time, but revisiting uh, final destination totally to my heart, but from the heart to the head, better bracket topic. And this is where, again, we are going to have to truly show our work because we need to define, but seeds of evil genius, which one better bracket topic, Uh, um, better bracket topic, two reasons for Mike Mendes night of the demons, because one, uh, the nuns do some fuckery. Okay, so that's there's like so there's a little bit of that, but too, this is Mike Mendez's first one, man. And if you say, hey, Mike Mendez is directing this movie, bet you know I like Mike Mendez's movies. Big ass spider, that movie is grand. Like that was my very first introduction to Mike Mendez, and I'm mm-hmm. like, this dude is great. So yeah, for Seeds of Evil for me, it's gonna be the Covenant. Man, I, oh, we, you need to get out of my head. I am also going to go with Mike Mendez in the con- the convent. Um, and the reason I'm going to say that is when we say seeds of evil, uh, the seed itself is this film. But what did it spring? And like you said, you know, with if you go and look at James Wan, he wrote and directed Final Destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote Final Destination 3. He wrote a large number of the X-Files. So he's got a really good, again, good, good fruit born yeah. from that seed. But man, when you look at Mike Mendez's work, not only do we have Big Ass Spider and Don't Kill It, which is another great Christmas movie, but he's yeah. like, he, you know what member of a society he's part of? The October Society. Uh, he's part of the October Society. He right? Gave, part, he gave us part of Tales of Halloween. Twick a tweet. Oh, my God. Twick a... Oh. He the, gave us Twick a tweet, man. So, so good. And if it wasn't for this, we would not get that. And for me, that's got to get my vote. And damn it again. What is in the year 2000 right now? In the year 2000! We have to go back to the cover of Fangoria. The cover of the old Fango. And as it turns out, neither of these the original films were on the main cover, but both took up room on the film side. All right, so lasting legacy. I think that's a no-brainer. Unfortunately, if we're looking at the films and the legacy of those films, regardless of the filmmaker... Final Destination for yeah. me, man, dude. Final Destination. I, that's something inherently scary about those goddamn movies. And I love every one of them. And, Even like the 3D one, the re, re, uh, reboot. And I'll make them. the argument that the last one, uh, it, there's a spoiler at the very end, but it... Mwah! Exactly. That was a great exactly. little ending on that one. 
I, so I, it's it's tough to make the argument against the mm. convent versus Final Destination for love the Mike Mendez. Love Mike Mendez. He won the for the topic, but yep, yep, nope. For so. Uh, I guess, I guess, uh, you know, death does have a destiny, and a destiny is in the round of the Scream 16, so making its way is Final Destination. And our final pairing, a final bracket topic here. Ah, yes. What is reality, genius? Huh. Good question. Well, it's what we Re- make it, right? Reality bites. <laughs> which is exactly our bracket topic, which pairs two different films that let you question the reality what's real what's not is the narrative we're seeing is it is it false is it real and both are great films both films pair up character actors as the main folks and let them really kind of chew up the scenery yeah one quite literally (laughs) Uh, we have american psycho going up against shadow of the vampire yeah what do we talk about first let's go american psycho saw it in the theater Really? Yeah, I did. I, I did not. I was pretty much by myself. Um, <laughs> and I knew of the controversy of the film based on the controversy of the book. Uh, this is Now, I, I read the book after I saw the film. So in 2000, saw it on the big screen. And I wasn't, I, I was prepared to be shocked. And I was shocked that I was as entertained as much as I was. That the kills, as there's some gnarly stuff in there. But it plays pretty comical. It does. I remember seeing. I remember this was a video. This okay. was a video watch, and I remember hearing the controversy mm-hmm. about the book and about. Oh, this is a very graphic. And, t- uh, let me just say, the book is gnarly as all get out. It's graphic as they say it is. Yeah, and they're talking about how the movie was like, you know, it's pretty graphic. There's nudity and filth and all. That. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I pop it in, and I enjoyed the shit out of it. And I'm like, that wasn't that bad. I don't know what all the hubbub was all about. You know, I've seen ten times things worse. You know, <laughs> and so like, come on, if this is a this is a good movie. I think this one is the one that made uh, Christian Bale a thing. You know, like a like, oh, let's get him to he'll do anything. Well, apparently Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio passed on the role. Um, and this is definitely a, a, like you said, a star making, but also a, a role that not a lot of people would want to take. No. Because this could have broken his career. <laughs> yeah. Because when you are nude in running shoes with a chainsaw. Ah, but he's got excellent aim, almost superhuman aim when it comes to like, <laughs> he'd be terrible at that game. What is that game where you try and drop a knife and like. <laughs> <laughs> would you say maybe he's unreliable? Yeah. <laughs> Potentially. Well, also, is uh, this is actually a great film to transition from Women in Horror Month as it was directed by Mary Heron and written by Guinevere Turner, who Guinevere Turner actually shows up in the film as one of the the victims in one of the ill-fated three-way yeah. that goes on in there, which so much of that is gnarly. Uh, the cast is great. Justin Throw is wonderful. Reese Witherspoon. Uh, this film is actually filled with much. Of, both of these films actually are filled with a lot of. Hey, hey that's 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 Jared Leto. Yeah. Well, that was Jared Leto. <laughs> well, this movie has been famously parodied mm-hmm. because of that scene. Yeah, the Huey Lewis scene. He, Huey Lewis did it himself. He parodied himself. He killed Weird Al, didn't he? Weird Al. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that tells you the kind of if if, if we have to get to the legacy of this film, but ultimately the fact that that it's kind of hey, found. Weird Al trumps everything. If Weird Al is in it, involved in it, said anything, then that's you. You made, made it. it. <laughs> You've made it, dude. You've made it. Congratulations, Brett Easton Ellis, uh, Mary Heron, everyone with American Psycho. You are officially in the the, <laughs> the the lexicon of American lore. 
the fact that I've always heard people say, oh, I love that guy. I love that character. Like, No, you're not supposed to. He's a terrible person. He's a dork. And I mean, I'm a dork, but like that, he's got this line in there, something along the lines of, I, I want to fit in. He's got that drive, that driving Rah. notion, just everything. Uh, the, like I said, the movie is surprisingly comical, darkly humorous. Um, it's a surprise. I saw this on the big screen not too long ago, and it still holds up. You know, I mean, again, 20 years later, it's a film that ultimately serves as a cautionary tale. Um, you don't want to be a Patrick Bateman. No, you, do, ultimately. you don't. You don't. And that's one thing. I, there's two things I don't get about this movie. One I don't get about this movie is the fans um, who are like, uh, I want to be like him or he's cool. He's not cool. He's a dick. He's a dick who bitches about business cards and he's a psycho. He's a fucking psycho. You don't want to strive to be no, that. He's a cautionary tale, not a goddamn role model. And another thing I heard was like, oh, this movie is like anti-women and blah, blah, blah. And you said it yourself. It was written and directed by women. How could it be? Again, all the hubbub, yep. negative hubbub was yep. not worth it. wasn't warranted. No. Now, if this movie is not your bag, I totally understand that because this is a polarizing movie. Absolutely. This is one of those movies that you either love or you hate. I don't think there's like a like, unless you see it too many times. Yeah. So, yeah. And we'll get to the kind of the driving narration. And I should say it's it's appropriate that uh, one of the side characters in American Psycho is one Willem Dafoe. Yeah. As he shows up all over in the year 2000. And uh, ultimately, um, we're just going to go straight into it because this was... Straight into Willem. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while since I've watched Shadow of the Vampire. And I saw this one in the theater as well. Yeah. I was practically by myself. Um, I know you had a chance to revisit this as part of Film Club Mm -hmm. not too long ago. Mm -hmm. So I'm really jealous because watching this by myself... It was wonderment because I'd forgotten about number one, the cast of characters and everything. And I'm like, oh shit, there's Eddie Izzard. Right. Wonderful. Okay, great. Eddie Izzard being grand, being fucking grand. So good in this movie. (laughs) He's great in this movie. He sells, he, well, like those, the silent character actors, you know, they had to be expressive. Yeah. They had to, to enhance and project and every little thing he does in there from his reactions, everyone reacting to Willem Dafoe as Max Shrek. As Count Orlock. This is like the inception of roles. Yeah. Is he really a vampire? Again, this is the bold reality because, like, we don't know, but I swear he's probably a vampire in real life, just like Will, just like, (laughs) just like Julian Sands is a warlock. There's something, there's something inherently evil. He's probably like an Echinata or some sort of weird, like, elder vampire or something, but. He's supernatural because he's fucking scary in this one. Well, he is, but he's also oddly charming. Yes. He's so charming. And he's like an outsider in his own home. But he just, it's so weird to see the performance because he wants to to be with everybody. He wants to be part of the act. I want to put on the show, right? But at the same time, he wants to be friends with people, but he wants to eat them as well. And you don't, it's so weird. But I'll tell you what, I saw this movie the first time like on VHS. I was a little bit, uh, okay, cool. Right, because I wasn't, I was really young. It's more on the love of film than anything as well. But this time at film club or in the theater, okay, I had, this I had my eaten alive moment, okay? So, like. (laughs) So, so boy, again, going back to eaten alive, I think that was a few years ago and into the mouth of March Madness, go back to that selection episode or either that or the 70s episode. But it's, there was a scene in eaten alive where it just scared the shit out of me. So, this movie scared the shit out of me. So, 
we were watching it in film club and it's in the theater and it's kind of, it's a packed theater but there's a part where Willem Dafoe's at the campfire and he's like telling the stories of like when I was young and this and that and that, right? And then you just hear a tiny bat in the corner and he's and he just and he snatches it out of the air. But the way the sound design had it, because it was the remaster or stereo or something. The sound came right from behind me with the bat. And when he snatched it, I swear I felt his hand go past my head. And like my hair just woofed, right? And then pulled I'm like, Whoa! I screamed so loud in the theater. I like feet went up and, like, and I clutched it like I was in the sitting fetal position. Like, oh! it's a good thing you had no pearls on. You would have been clutching them, my friend. Exactly. Oh my Amber's, god! And I made Amber jump, and she's like, Ugh! you know, when she like puts both hands out yep. and yep. like that. <laughs> so I'm oh, like, I'm sorry. That's oh, lovely. oh, it was so good, so good. I love good scares like that. I think in the heart of hearts, as horror fans want scares. And that gave me such a good scare. Such a good scare. Oh, it was great, man. Well, for me, and I don't say this was so much of a scare, but throughout the film, the thing that I was putting together was how well this would play as a triple feature. If you started with Wes Craven's New Nightmare, Mm -hmm. you then played Shadow of the Vampire, and you end things with One Cut of the Dead. Because one of the things that I love with this movie is the fact that uh, Malkovich is, you know, he's he's. It's all about just getting, getting the shot. Get, if, he's if, great in that too. We didn't even talk about him. He's wonderful. Everyone, he brings his a game. The madness, the the well, the madness that you need as a director, as someone that's yeah. you know, heading the film. And like you said, if it's not in frame, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And again, that that separation of. What is real on camera? Is it real outside of the camera? I love that. And ultimately, the whole fact that this film does presuppose what if Max Shrek was Was really a vampire. And the shenanigans that ensues. So ultimately, we love both of of these films, but only one can go to the round of the Scream 16. So of the two, between American Psycho and Shadow of the Vampire, genius... Which one is closer to your heart? Shadow of the Vampire. Oh, Shadow of the Vampire, without, without a doubt. Without wow, a doubt. Wow. I saw American Psycho first. I've seen American Psycho more. But when you can scare me like that, yeah. you got a place in my heart. So Shadow of the Vampire. And again, I saw both of these in the theater. Um, ultimately, I think ultimately because of the my expectations going in and the fact that they were kind of subverted for the most part, so I was a little bit more disappointed. I'm going to have to go with Shadow of the Vampire because that one I I had more fun walking out of ultimately. But with the performance and ultimately what happened, again, I, I think I've grown to appreciate American Psycho more. But mm-hmm. for, the, for the nostalgia, I've got to go Shadow of the Vampire. Now, that being said, our bracket topic here going from uh, the heart to the head is Reality Bites. Because mm-hmm. both of these films do play with reality. Yeah. So of that being said, of the two, which one uh, goes to the bracket topic a little bit better? I'm going to go Shadow of the Vampire for two reasons. One, um, reality. Patrick Bateman's questionable at best. Okay? So we don't know exactly what's real and what's not. While we don't know what's real and what's not with the Shadow of the Vampire, this is more like what if. This is more what if than like what, huh? So... I like the what ifs a little bit better. Plus, second, bites, vampires. So that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, 
the the reason I'm also going to go with Shadow of the Vampire as well is the fact that um, Nosferatu exists. The film exists. We have proof of its existence. <laughs> yeah, it is real. Uh, Patrick Bateman, the idea of him did exist. Obviously, serial mm-hmm. killers, the yuppies out there, eighties Reaganomics, die yuppies come totally out there. But for me. It's the bites part, and we're just gonna go have to quite go quite literal here. Now, granted, Patrick Bateman literally bites one of the the ladies in the back of the calf, but here, Willem Dafoe just feasts yeah. upon reality. Yeah, and with uh, just four votes to zero, man, Shadow the Vampire took a chunk out of American <laughs> is that, Psycho. Is that the only one we didn't have to go to Fangoria on this whole episode? <laughs> finally, finally, it was as much as I love Fangoria, it was nice right? to not have to go to that. <laughs> So here in the round of the Scream 16, we are going to have our first matchup is going to be Scream 3 going up against Juan. Mm-hmm. And then our final one is going to be Final Destination going up against Shadow of the Vampire. Mm-hmm. And we've got two wonderful guests, uh, folks that are going to be coming in to help us debate to see which round and which film ultimately represents the year 2000 in the Frightful Four. So until Friday, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. Mm-hmm.